Uh, tonight we start a series of the last three weeks called Live Sent. If you're not familiar, sort of the mission statement of Mount Zion Baptist Church, what we believers here at Mount Zion kind of all rally around and try to run toward is this phrase here, Live Sent to Make Disciples, which can mean like a whole bunch of different things. So we're going to take some time over the next couple of weeks to talk about what that looks like, what it means to live sent. We are called by Jesus to go and we are sent out by him to share the gospel and all these different things. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. In different, in, in kind of a different way, is it just me or is it like extremely terrifying when you find yourself at home by yourself at night? Anybody else? Like it, it is it just me? Right. There's, there's, I feel like there's those times like when you're at home, it's like after dark and you're like walking down the hallway. It feels like for some reason there's always something chasing you. Like there's just always this sense of like there's a murderer behind me um, for whatever reason. Right. It's the same thing like when I go hunting and stuff and you're in the woods and it's dark outside. You feel like there's a murderer behind every tree. Uh, same, same kind of thing for whatever reason. There's just that sense. But when you're at home and you get scared, where do you do? You run and do what? Anybody? Nobody's willing to admit it. I run and go get under a blanket because for some reason you think that this piece of cloth is going to protect you from some kind of murderer uh, or whatever it is and that kind of thing. Just like there's like the security of being under a blanket. Um, and it's just hilarious to me that we all do that. And it's just this like common sort of thing. But in, in very real ways, we find ourselves scared in life in moments of fear, some legitimate, some kind of spiraled out in our own heads. And we might be tempted, though, to think that this is a new thing, that like the fear and anxiety that we all feel today and the things that we're all stressed out uh, about and all this kind of stuff today, because we just, because we're selfish and prideful people, like all people who've ever existed, we just assume that nobody uh, has ever experienced all the things that we've experienced. And of course, you are unique and you're your own little snowflake and the whole deal, right? And that thing. But if you look through the whole of scripture, one of the most common things that God says to humans throughout all the scripture from the very beginning and will continue to say all the way till the end is this phrase or some sort of version of this phrase of do not be afraid. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. He just, and this is just this common theme that runs all the way through. It, God says it like over and over and over and over again. I knew the number at one point of how many times it was kind of that phrase that was used in scripture. I can't remember the number now, but it was, it's a high number. One of the most common things that God says when he shows up in front of somebody, especially like he, the first thing he says is don't be afraid because they like pee their pants and that kind of thing because God is, is initially just terrifying because he's so awesome and so huge and grand and that whole, that whole deal. But just in general, and that's where we're going to be tonight in Acts chapter 18, we're going to be looking at, uh, a little bit of the life of Paul over the next couple of weeks in this sort of thing. So we might be tempted to think that we're alone in being uh, afraid, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. I think one of the things that people are most scared of, especially if you're of the introverted persuasion, one of the things you're most afraid of and terrified of is like actually having to talk to somebody about your faith, right? Like, am I the only one, right? That's, that's kind of, you putting yourself on the line and you got to like say a thing, right? And we might be tempted to think we're the only ones. And that's just not true. So we're in uh, Acts chapter 18. We're going to be in, uh, looking at verses 9 and 10, but I need to give you some context here so you can kind of understand where we're jumping into the story here. 
Jesus uh, steps into a, a dream, a vision that Paul has to speak to him, to help him in this situation, but you kind of need to know the context here. So Paul, in his life after becoming a Christian, he went on three, scholars might think four, but we know for sure three that we see in the book of Acts, what are called missionary journeys, where he was sent out from Jerusalem, his hometown, and then journeyed, spent months and years traveling uh, to major cities in the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean Sea. You guys studied that in history enough to know kind of where I'm talking about in the world? Good? Good? Yeah. So he traveled a lot of these things. So this, in chapter 18, he is in the middle of his second missionary journey, and he's hanging out in Corinth, which is actually was one of the like major commercial hubs of the Roman Empire because of where it is geographically. It has both um, sea-based like ports and stuff uh, for transport of products and things like that, but then also land transportation and all those kind of things. Like there's, it has access to be able to commercially transport a lot of different things. So it was a major hub, uh, and it was a very interesting place as we study history and know more and more about. Corinth, we learn of how interesting it was. And for me, I, I don't know if I'm the only one, but for me, when I think about ancient civilizations, often I think of like village life and there's like 20 people and they're probably all related. And I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. But so you understand where Paul is at in Corinth. Corinth is estimated to have over 750,000 po- uh, people in population at the time. To give you an understanding, that's almost double of what we currently have in Huntsville, right? We currently have just over, I think it was like 400,000 people in the kind of in the Huntsville area. Corinth had over 750,000 people in it. So it was like a booming metropolis of a place that Paul was hanging out and trying to do ministry in and share the gospel in and these kinds of things. And there was, Corinth had this reputation. There was this word, I'm not going to say the Greek word, but it basically meant to live like a Corinthian. And if, if you were said to have, be living like a Corinthian, what they meant was that you were living an immoral life, specifically probably sexually immoral life. There was, it was so prevalent in the city of Corinth to live this like selfish, ruthless, uh, sexually impure life that like the entire empire had a phrase about the city. Isn't that crazy? Right? Has anybody ever heard of like keep Austin weird. Have you ever heard that? Like Austin, Texas, you guys haven't heard that yet? Yeah, some of the older people, right? Like Austin's weird enough of a town that the entirety of the U.S. is like, yeah, Austin's weird. That's kind of the same sort of deal, that Corinthians had such this uh, atmosphere and this culture of these things. Like one example is like the one of the largest, or I think the largest temple to the goddess of love Aphrodite uh, was there in Corinth and housed like thousands of what they called these priestesses, um, which, who were, which was really just essentially they were prostitutes. They were slave prostitutes. I mean, just thousands of them uh, in this temple. That's the kind of culture that Paul finds himself in. And you're like, okay, JJ, we get it, right? But like this, you just got to understand. And so where we find Paul at the beginning of chapter 18 is he, he there is this large uh, synagogue, Jewish synagogue that's also in Corinth. And so those are his people. Paul is Jewish. He was a, uh, a Pharisee. And so he knew, he, like he knows Judaism. And that was a lot of his heart uh, when he was back in Israel was to try and reach the Jews. And then as he traveled, of course, he was reaching Gentiles as well. And so he was like, look, I'm going to start the synagogue, the synagogue with these people who uh, I know they're my people. I can do this whole deal. Right. And they like aggressively opposed him when he came in preaching the gospel. They were, they weren't like physically violent to him, but they were, they were really, really anti what he was doing enough that he stepped back 
and was like, okay, fine, I'm going to go hang out with the Gentiles because you guys are terrible, was basically what he said. All right, you get the picture? What what we're coming into when we read here in verse 9 is that Paul is actually at a point in his ministry that he is frustrated, he, he is exhausted, he's scared, and he's ready to give up. Anybody else ever had moments in your life like that? Where you're just scared and ready to give up? You're frustrated, feel like you can't get anything done, feel like you can't go do the things that you are supposed to be doing, right? That's where Paul finds himself. And this is what Jesus says to him. Verse 9, we finally set up all this stuff, okay? Verse 9, chapter 18 of Acts. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed one year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And we know he would go on to be so connected there that he, he would help plant churches, and he would write uh, at least two letters, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, right? Make, making sense now? The, that he would have such a ministry there that he would write back to them after he traveled on and that kind of thing. But he was at a moment where Jesus had to step in and say, hey, look, don't be afraid. Keep pushing on. Keep doing what you're called to do. I'm with you. You see, and that's the important thing right there, that phrase of, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Speak up, for I am with you. The first thing that comes to mind for me are a lot of the the biblical heroes, like Moses, whenever he sees the burning bush and God is speaking to him and calls him out to go back to Egypt to speak to the Pharaoh and try to uh, pull the uh, Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and that whole deal. And he starts to give all these excuses and talk about why he shouldn't do it. And he's afraid, of course, because he's got to go back and face his past. He's got to go back and face the most powerful leader in the world at the time and try to convince him to let go of, you know, a million people, almost a million people who are working for him and his economy and the whole deal. He was terrified. And in the moment, God said, don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. This, just, this continues to happen over and over and over again. It, we see this being the heartbeat of God throughout Scripture so much that David writes this. I've got this on the screen, Psalm 56, uh, verses uh, 3 and 4 here. This, this is a longer psalm, and he talks about this kind of this theme right here. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God, oops, supposed to capitalize that, I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can flesh do to me, right? So, so King David is praying this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. This is a prayer, this, this is obviously some moment, David had many moments where he lived in fear of an enemy, of what God might do to him because he had committed these egregious sins and this whole deal. And this is what he's saying, and this is an example we can live up to. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. If you're like me, though, you hear like, okay, you know, Jesus showed up, told Paul, don't be afraid, I'm with you. He sh- uh, God showed up and told Moses the same thing, and David understood this, and he was called a man after God's own heart. Like, these guys are just built different. It's not, it, that's cool for them, but what does that have to do with me? Right? Anybody else ever feel that when you're reading Scripture? You're like, oh, cool, that's awesome, Paul. What does that have to do with me? You see, the thing is, is these, these men and women who are in, in Scripture who are heroes of the faith, who did step out, even though they were afraid, who did trust God enough that they did these big things, were no different than you and I. Paul, the only thing that was really majorly different from Paul 
and you and I is that Paul was 100% with every single ounce of his being living for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with every person he possibly could. And most of us don't do that. Most of us don't live that way. I'm, I, I don't live that way where every single ounce of me is that. And I want to strive to be that. That's really the only difference. Paul's just a normal dude, just like everybody else. But he trusted God and he knew what he was commanded. T- speaking of what he was commanded, turn over to the book of Matthew. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. Matthew chapter 28. Some of you are familiar with this passage known as the Great Commission. Matthew <clears throat> chapter 28. We're going to be in, starting in verse 18. This is one of the last things that Jesus had to say to his disciples, but the way he says it to his disciples, it is, it is intended for every single person who would choose to follow him from this point all the way until he comes again. And he has not come yet again, but he will hopefully sooner than later, right? This is what he had to say to any person who would choose to follow him. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sound familiar? I am with you. So he gives this same sort of thing. Speak up. Share the gospel. You can do this with confidence because I am with you. And the reason that's a big deal is because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking, not me. Uh, he is the king of the universe. And if you have the king of the universe with you, who else better to have with you at all times? Right? Like there is no friend, there is no family member who can be with you, can guarantee that they are with you and have your back no matter what the way Jesus does. So often, when the things around us go bad, whenever people disappoint us, betray us, whatever, we like curse God uh, for whatever reason, when it was those people, their brokenness and their sin that caused the situation, or maybe even some of your own brokenness and sin that caused the situation, not the perfect and holy God. He still stands there perfect and holy, ready to be your friend and ready to redeem you, but often we just strike out at him, I guess. I'm not sure, but he promises to be with you always. So this is not just for Moses and Paul and all these great leaders uh, in the in the scriptures. This is for you that Jesus says, go and share the gospel. Go into your schools, go onto your team, go into your homeschool co-op, go into your underwater basket weaving team, whatever it is that you are a part of, you go and you share the gospel with every person you can. If you're in the room and you've chosen to follow Jesus. I remember, so my son is playing baseball now and uh, it's given me a lot of PTSD uh, when I played baseball. I love baseball. Actually, I love to watch baseball and so I'm helping him and it's been a lot of fun and that kind of thing. But the reason I quit baseball, one, mainly because I was way better at soccer than I was baseball. But I also got afraid of the ball. Right? Any, any baseball people or former baseball people in the room? Yeah, that's awake. Yeah. Ethan, you a baseball person or what? Okay, you didn't raise your hand, man, so you're just over there like, oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, right? So it's a big deal to be afraid of the ball in baseball. I'll say on some, there are two instances that made me uh, afraid of the ball. One, 
was that there was this guy who had continually bullied me for a few years. He was a pitcher on the opposite team that anytime I was up to bat and he was pitching, he would try to hit me and was successful a few times until I then beat him up one time and then he quit. But, uh, so that made, that made me scared of the ball. And then there was another time because I'm, again, I'm more coordinated with my feet than I am my hands. And so there's a time I was playing right field. That should give you some indication of things. But I was playing right field. It was a pop fly. And I was like coming at it, doing this. And then all of a sudden, it hits me in the face, right? And I've just laid out on the ground, <laughs> passed out, like get knocked out by the baseball. My dad's laughing at me, you know, and everybody else is, you know, worried. My dad's like, he's fine. He's got a hard head. It's fine, right? Right. But through that, I got, I got scared of the ball, I, and so I had to quit baseball. And I, I still love the game. It's a beautiful game, and I, I hope my son falls in love with it and doesn't get scared of the ball and that whole deal, right? But, uh, but we have these things that happen to us that cause us to be afraid. We also have situations in our life where we get into what, what I call the what-if crazy cycle. And so, like, what I'm talking about is, like, if I wanted to play baseball, I had never played baseball, but then I just got into this, well, what if, what if I get hit by the ball? What if this happens? What if I run and trip and fall on my face? It's a story for a different time, right? Like, what if this? What if this? And so you, you get so worried about what could happen that you just don't do anything. You get paralyzed in fear. Just in general in life, that we're not even talking just purely spiritual at this point. What if, what if questions are most often not great questions to ask because you're asking what if about something that you generally have no control over. And so if you're struggling with, this is a side note, this is not even the point of the message, but if you're struggling with a lot of fear and anxiety just in general life, not even just about the Jesus stuff, I would guess, it's not always, and there's exceptions to everything, but I would guess a lot of it is because you get into the what if crazy cycle in your head and you forget that you're not actually in control of all those things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the one who is in control of all of those things. And he says, I am with you, always. Now, he doesn't say, hear me out, right? He doesn't say, follow me, and then you're rich, follow me, and your life's easy, nothing bad ever happens to you, and those kind of things. Paul had already, at this point, in, uh, when we see him in the middle of his second missionary journey, he had already been beaten many times. He had already been shipwrecked at least once at this point. He had been stoned, I think, at least twice with inches of his life. Like, Paul even knows, like, following Jesus doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to you. But what it means is, even when bad things happen to you, this is the heart of David, right? Like, go, go, back, to, go back to the psalm passage, right? David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. This is this is the call. This is to live sent, to live out the great commission, this command that Jesus gives to you if you are a follower of him. To live this out, you have to get to a place like David. That your first reaction when bad things happen to you isn't to like curse God, but is to trust God. Because he's the only one worthy of trust, fully. He's the only one. Because he's the only one who's truly in charge of all of it. Run to God. Now let's take a second. I want us to close our eyes and kind of just get in our own space. Not messing with the people around you, not, any, not eating any snack foods or playing games on your phones or anything like that. Like, let's get serious for a second, okay? Close your eyes and let's get in a space. 
while we're thinking through this, okay? If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have committed your life to following him. I'm not saying you're doing it perfectly. Nobody is, but you're trying, or maybe you've fallen off the bandwagon. You want to get back on and, and really try to follow Jesus. This great commission in Matthew that we just read, he says to go, you, you are sent out to make disciples, to share the gospel is what that means, to teach them God's word. And he'll be with you at all times. And so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to take just a second. And as you think about this semester that you've just started, of school, whatever sport you're playing, whatever thing you're doing, whatever club you're a part of, as you're starting all these out, the slate is clean. And commit this year to truly living sent, to share your faith with the people around you. Now, that, that sounds big and scary and that whole deal, and so let's just take that in bite-sized chunks, okay? So let's start with this. If you're a follower of Jesus, start here. Just a simple prayer, okay? Jesus, this is just in your own head, not out loud. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'm committed to following you. Jesus, give me opportunities and courage to talk to the people around me about you. So maybe you set a goal to invite just one or two people a week to come to Greenhouse. Many will say no, but some might say yes, and it'd be worth it. And as you start there, inviting one or two people to come to Greenhouse, then you start praying, God, give me, give me opportunities to, act, to talk about church, talk about my faith. And then you start trying to find opportunities to fully share the gospel, that Jesus loves them, he has died for them, and he wants to give them salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, right now pray for Jesus to give you opportunities to fully share the gospel and to give you courage when you have fear. Now, if you're in the room and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. You've not asked for forgiveness of your sins and given your life over to him. But if what I've been talking about, this whole living a life where fear doesn't take control of you, if that sounds like something that you want, then Jesus is the only true source of that. He died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for you and then beat death by raising back to life three days later. All you have to do is place your faith in him. You can come talk to me or one of the other adult leaders in the room about that if that is you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus tonight, tonight is tonight to do that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you choose to use us, that you choose to call us out, and then you don't just send us out and leave us on our own. Lord, I'm so thankful that you, you promised throughout all of Scripture to be with us those of us who've chosen to, to follow you and to commit our lives to you, that you are with us always, no matter what. And so in the moments of fear, we can trust you. In the moments of fear, we can run to you. Lord, and that I pray this semester that each and every one of us, myself included, that we would step out in boldness to share the gospel with the people around us and invite the people around, of us, around us to come be a part of this Christian community here. Christ, I'm going to pray.
Amen.